You are listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, it's so good to be with you today as we are kicking off this new series, He Gets Us. Let me uh, start by asking this question. Don't you just love it when somebody just gets you? When someone gets you? Like, for example, you ever meet somebody, you make a new acquaintance, and you just hit it off right away. Like, you know you're going to be friends. Like, you like the same music. You like the same sports teams. You like the same food. And like, you're following each other on social media so fast because like, man, they just get me. We're going to be friends. Or think about it this way. Who's that one person you call when you're having a bad day and you just need someone to talk to? They're right at the top of your list. Aren't you thankful for people like that in your life who just get you? Or let's just have fun for just a moment here, okay? We're going to have a little fun here. All right, ladies, let's say you meet a really nice Christian guy on a Christian dating app, okay? Christian guy on a Christian dating app. Are you following me, okay? And you hit it off and you're dating for a few weeks and everything's great. And you call your girlfriend up to tell her all about it. I got to tell you about this new guy that I've been seeing. We've been dating. And she's like, oh yeah, girl, tell me all about it. <laughs> can I have some girlfriend talk, right? I can only imagine these conversations because I have no idea. And you're like, oh, he's, he's wonderful. He's handsome and he's sweet and he's so sensitive and caring and emotionally available and he just gets me, right? Like we love it when someone just gets us. <laughs> and I got good news for you. Jesus gets us. Jesus gets us. Sometimes we wonder where God is, what God is like. Sometimes it feels like God is so far away. But here's the beautiful thing. We open the scriptures and we read about a God who came near to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Come on, a God that we can experience here and now in, in our lives. And here's the good news. Jesus walked in our shoes he gets us because he's been one of us before. And that's what this series is all about. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at different stories, different episodes from the life of Jesus. And we're going to talk about how, how he gets us. And today, I want to talk to you about how Jesus gets our desire to be included and to not be judged. I think there's one thing we all have in common in here today, no matter where you are spiritually. We want to be included and we don't want to be judged. All right, so to help set up the message today for just a moment, I want to invite you to use your imagination and to go back in time, okay? Some of you are going to have to go further back in time than others, but I want to invite you in your mind to go back in time to your high school cafeteria. Now, if we've got some high schoolers in here, this is still your reality. But I want you to think about the high school cafeteria, and I want you to think about the unofficial seating chart that every high school cafeteria has. You know, people tend to kind of segregate into their own groups and they represent different groups at different tables. And I know every school is a little bit different, but there are some common groups. So for example, I know in my high school at one table, we always had the jocks table. Come on, that was the sporty guys, the athletes who were usually punching on each other and wearing their letterman's jacket, even if it was 80 degrees outside. Like the jocks table, right? Then there was the band geeks Come on, these were the kids who were really excited about the French horn. The French horn is where it's at, baby. Give me the French horn all four years of high school. Come on, band geeks. They're the rock stars who are on our worship team now. We love these guys. Now we want to be like them, right? Then there was the, the math club. I have no idea what was going on in the math club. I can barely add two plus two. But I think the math club would be challenging each other with different, like, really complex math equations. Somebody was always going off on a tangent. See what I did there, a tangent? Some of y'all didn't pay attention. In trigonometry class. 
Then there was the drama club. These were the people who were always in character, always singing, walking around singing, and they were always in character. You know, the drama club people. And then we all know that no high school cafeteria seating chart would be complete without the nerd table. There was the nerd table, okay? And we're not gonna pick on the nerds today because the nerds are now your employers because they're the people who came up with all this technology that's given you a job. So we used to call them the nerds table. Now you call them boss. Amen, somebody. (laughs) How many of you know exactly where you belonged on that seating chart? Somebody like Pastor Jeremy, I didn't wanna think about those days anymore. Don't make me go back there. I'm having flashbacks. But one of the things that we learned from the high school cafeteria experience is that tables define social structures, don't they? Or I would put it this way, tables tell us who's included and who's not. And every one of us needs a table where we belong. This is still true for us as adults today. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, Amy and I, we were in Florida. We're part of a leadership network down there with Next Level Church and and, uh, with other pastors and leaders from around the nation. And Amy and I, we showed up for for the event and we were a little bit late and the room was completely packed full of pastors. And it was a little bit intimidating, like where to find a place to sit down. But thankfully they had table assignments for each one of us, each of our groups, And it just kind of took the pressure off. You could just go find your table and you immediately had a place to to belong. This still matters to us as as adults. Now, there were tables back in Jesus' day as well. In fact, the Gospels record eight different invitations that Jesus accepted to sit at tables with different people. Three of those were with close friends and family, while the other five were with misfits and social outcasts. For some of you, friends and family, misfits and social outcasts are one and the same. <laughs> but Jesus showed up at different, different dinner invitations and sat at different tables. And so we're going to look at one of those episodes today from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. Let me just give you a little context here. Uh, the story we're going to look at is, is the story of the calling of, of Matthew, who's also known as Levi. He was one of the disciples, one of the 12 apostles. This is Matthew who lends his name to the very first gospel. When we get to the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, each of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're an account of Jesus's life. This is Matthew who wrote down an account of Jesus's life in the gospel of Matthew. And so we're going to look at how Jesus called him to follow him and a story that ensued after that. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Are you ready? Let's get into it. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So you can begin to see two different tables, two different camps, if you will, emerge in this story, okay? On one hand, we have what you might call the sinner's table. Let me just adjust this sign so you can see it. This sinner's table, this is represented by the tax collectors. Now, let me help you do a little biblical interpretation today. I want you to be educated when you're reading the Bible. Whenever you come across the term tax collector in the New Testament, that is Jewish code language for scumbag, okay? Now you know how to read that properly. <laughs> the sinner's table is represented by, by the tax collectors, and they were, they were notorious. They were hated in Jesus' time. 
uh, because they were seen as collaborators with the Roman Empire. See, at this time, the Jewish people, they were a conquered people. They were subjects of the Roman Empire. And what happened is the tax collectors, they would collect taxes on behalf of Rome. So they were despised by their neighbors, by the people around them, because they were seen as collaborators. And even worse than that, they often got rich by overcharging people on their taxes and skimming off the top and cheating people. Okay, They were so despised that... Um, their word wasn't even, their testimony wasn't even permissible in court because their word carried no weight. They couldn't even give alms to the poor in the temple because their, their money was seen as being tainted. It was dirty money. Now, the scripture tells us, if you paid attention, we read it, that Jesus, when he called Matthew, Matthew was in the tax collector's booth. So think of Matthew as less of a IRS agent and more of a toll collector. Now we can really relate to this in New York in the tri-state area, right? Because we pay a lot of tolls and all about you, but I don't enjoy seeing that easy pass, you know, bill every month. We pay a lot of tolls. Here's the deal. Imagine going across the George Washington Bridge. What's it cost? Like 15 bucks? If you don't have the easy pass, you know, I think it's like 15 bucks cash, 16 bucks. Can you imagine the guy in the George Washington toll booth can charge you whatever he wants? It's 30 bucks for you today. And you're fighting him. You're like, no, it's not. It's $16. I think in New York, people just sort of got out their cars. They would just fight people if that happened, you know, but it was a different time. So this is what Matthew's doing. He's collecting taxes on these roads, you know, collecting customs. And so they were despised by the people. And, and so this was the sinner's table. The scripture said that Jesus sat at the table with tax collectors and sinners. And the sinners included all of the people who could not live up to the righteous standards of the day, of the Old Testament law, certainly the righteous standards of, of the Pharisees. And then on the other hand, we have the, let's call it the saint's table, okay? This is represented by the Pharisees. Want to make sure you guys can see this sign. This is the saint's table. This is where the Pharisees sat. And, and the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the experts in the, the Torah, the Old Testament law. And they were so passionate and zealous for the biblical commandments that they even came up with extra commandments as if there weren't enough 613 commandments in the Old Testament. They came up with even extra, okay? And they were kind of self-appointed religious police, moral police, who felt really empowered to point out how everybody else failed and sinned and couldn't live up to do the expectations that they had. And in their attempt to hate sin, the Pharisees ended, ended up hating sinners. That was the problem. They ended up hating sinners. And in their mind, the best way to deal with people who didn't measure up was to not even sit with those people, to have nothing to do with them. So no wonder when the Pharisees see Jesus choosing to sit with the sinner's table, they raise an eyebrow, they're a little bit indignant, and they ask in verse 11, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, as a rabbi, as a teacher of the scriptures, he should have known better. If he were just an average ordinary person who walked into a room and didn't understand the situation and just sat over there, it would be fine. But Jesus should know better. You see, sharing a table in this culture was a very big deal. You were associating yourself with people. Middle Eastern hospitality is still a big deal to this day, and it was, certainly was during Jesus' time. This was more than just sitting at a table. This was to associate yourself with these people because tables define social boundaries. Think about that. They'd, they'd still do to this day in many ways. Think about walking into a business luncheon and how people tend to arrange themselves. I want you to think about, uh, go back in time for a moment to, to before the civil rights movement in the segregated South. Imagine a black person going to sit in a whites-only section. In fact, that was a form of protest, right? If you've read about that, the sit-ins that happened 
as a form of protest. Or imagine a white person sitting in the coloreds only section back then. That was taboo. That was a big problem. People didn't cross those kind of social lines. Why? Because tables define social structures. Furthermore, eating with sketchy people who you knew nothing about during Jesus's time could cause you to inadvertently become ceremonially unclean. What does that mean? Well, you can read about this in the Old Testament. Go read the book of Leviticus. It makes for some really interesting reading. (laughs) There were all these rites and rituals and things that could cause you to become ceremonially unclean. So for example, if you came into contact with someone who was bleeding or someone who was sick, you could become ceremonially unclean and then you had to go wash yourself or see the priest or do all of these things. It was a major inconvenience. And so it was just better off not to even associate with somebody who who may cause you to be exposed and to become ceremonially unclean. Now, before we judge the Pharisees too hard, is it possible that we can be like them at times? See, this story exposes a tendency that most of us have to arbitrarily set up a rating system for sin, what we might call today a badness scale. The badness scale. I think we tend to have a badness scale subconsciously in mind without even realizing it. I think if we can have an honest moment in church today, we tend to think this way without even realizing it. For example, I think we tend to think of sins along a badness scale. There are the small sins, maybe telling little white lies, maybe speeding or going to the speed limit, maybe fudging the numbers on your tax return a little bit. Those are like the small sins, Pastor Jeremy. Then maybe they're the medium sins, lying, cheating, stealing, you know, kind of the -the run-of-the-mill medium sins. And then there are the large, like really big sins like murder, adultery, cheering for the Red Sox. Come on, like, Pastor, I would never do that. Come on, Yankees fans, are you tracking with me today? (laughs) We don't mean to persecute you if you're a Red Sox fan, just having fun. But those are the things that I would never do that. Come on, can we just be honest? Let's not take ourselves too serious today. I think we tend to kind of have a a badness scale in mind when it comes to our sins. And, And here's the real danger. Not only do we tend to categorize sin according to a badness scale, I think we also have a tendency to categorize people according to it. We stop and think about it, if we're honest. I think on, on one hand, there are the, the really good people over here. These are the really good people. So maybe, you know, this is, these are people like Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, Pastor Dave, you know, the people who are really up there, you know, the people that we aspire to be like, that we admire, but we know deep down we're never really going to be as good as them. There are the, this is one extreme. These are the really good people, Okay. And then on the other hand, there are the really bad people over here, the terrorists, the flaming racists, like the mass shooter, Vladimir Putin's of the world. Let's just call them those people. We don't even like to name them. We just call them those people. And you know who else we tend to put in this category? I think we also include in this category the people who hurt us, the people who gossip about us, the people who break trust with us. We tend to put them over. Like, isn't it interesting? We don't even want to say those. Like in our mind, it's just those people over there. And then there's this vast space in the middle. And this is kind of the good people, okay? The everyday, ordinary, not the really good people, not the elite Mother Teresa types, certainly not those people, but the, the, the good people. Now, here's the question for you. Where do you tend to put yourself? 
<laughs> honest moment in church. I think most of us would put ourselves in the good category right here in the middle and would think I'm basically a good person. I've never done anything intentionally to hurt anyone. I've never killed anyone before. I, you know, oh yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm no Mother Teresa, but I'm certainly not like those people over there. We wouldn't say it. We just think things like that. We just feel things like that. Y'all are getting really quiet on me. Man, that's amazing. The problem is that God doesn't view people the way we view people. God doesn't look at the human heart the way we tend to think about the human heart. God doesn't look at sin the way we look at sin. How many of you know that God doesn't have a badness scale? In fact, here's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. He said, there is no one righteous, not even one. He goes on to say in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Some of you know the more traditional translation, we all fall short of the glory of God. There's only, there's only one standard, a glorious, holy, righteous God. When it comes to sin, there is no sliding scale. When it comes to humanity, there are only two categories of people, the perfect, sinless, one and only Jesus Christ and the rest of us. How many of you know that's true? There's only two categories. There's only one person, the Son of God, who stepped out of heaven, took on flesh and blood, came to this planet. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, and there's the rest of us. There's everyone else. We're all in the same category. So when the Pharisees asked Jesus why he ate with sinners and tax collectors, he responded this way. Look at this. In, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 12, he said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. In other words, I, I understand I have an urgency to go to those who desperately need my saving power, who desperately need my, my healing touch because no good doctor waits for his patients to fully recover before seeing them, right? I mean, can you imagine you're really sick and you call your doctor up and you're like, doctor, I've been sick for a week now, going on a week. I've got a high fever. I've got body aches all over the place. I'm losing, like I'm dehydrated. I can't keep anything down. Like I'm really sick. Imagine if your doctor was like, oh my gosh, that sounds really bad. And you sound really contagious. Maybe you should wait for like two weeks to come into the office and see me after you're feeling better. You're like, I'm going to find a new doctor because I might be dead, <laughs> but, right? I got to come in and see you now. Like no good doctor would wait for their patient to be whole before, before he would see them. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't wait for you to be perfect before he received you, but he met you in your sin, amen? He met you in your brokenness. He met you in your perfection. He met you where you were. He meets you where you are today, Jesus said, it's, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's, it's the sick. And newsflash, there's only one category. We're all those who are spiritually sick. Humanity is spiritually sick. Humanity has caught the pandemic that is sinfulness. And we need a savior and his name is Jesus. See, the problem with the Pharisees is they still had the Old Testament mindset. They were so worried about coming into contact with unclean people and having their uncleanness rub off on them because they weren't technically wrong. According to the Old Testament laws, that was true. If you came into contact with someone who was unclean, you became unclean, but they were stuck there. But I'm so thankful that Jesus had a redemptive mindset. Jesus had a redemptive mindset. He understood that, that when he touched people, that his righteousness infected them. He said, I'm not afraid to sit over there at that table. I'll go sit over there and I'll rub elbows with those people because I know that when I touch them, my righteousness is transferred from me on to them. 
Aren't you thankful that Jesus' righteousness is contagious? It's contagious. It's contagious. Jesus said, I'll go to those people. Jesus wasn't afraid to touch them. Jesus wasn't afraid to touch the lepers. Jesus wasn't afraid to touch the ceremony unclean people. Jesus wasn't afraid to go to the sketchy people to, to sit with the sinners and the tax collectors and, and the prostitutes because he recognized that he was bringing his righteousness, his love, his grace, and his mercy to those people. And so what Jesus was trying to say when he said it's not the healthy who need a, a doctor but the sick, what, what he was trying to say is that it's only the person who recognizes their need who will go to the doctor in the first place. Isn't this true? Come on, married ladies, you know what I'm talking about. You try to get your husband to go to the doctor. He's holding out. He's doing the tough guy thing. I know because I am a guy. You know, like I just don't want to go to the doctor for nothing. But you, you, you don't go to the doctor until you recognize your need. Like when you need to, to see a doctor, there's a recognition. I am sick. I am broken. I need help. Something is off. I need someone to help me. And you have to let down your pride to, to get help, right? It's only the person who recognizes that they're spiritually ill, that something is broken within who can receive care. The Pharisees' problem is that they were, they were too spiritually stuck up to recognize their need for what God was doing through his son, Jesus. See, it's often the mindset that I'm basically a good person. I'm over here in the middle. I'm basically a good person that keeps us from closeness to Jesus. In fact, I love what Judah Smith, Pastor Judah Smith said. He said, in reality, for many people, the greatest hindrance to receiving the grace of God is not their scandalous sins. It's actually their empty good deeds. Wow. In other words, one of the greatest hindrances to receiving the glorious free gift of the grace of God is not your terrible sins. I know it's counter, counterintuitive. Most of us would think, no, it's that terrible thing I did. It's, the, it's those sins that I've committed. And I know we wrestle with that. But, but by large, by and large, the vast majority of people that I talk to, what keeps them from receiving the grace of God is, is basically living in this space where they believe I'm basically good enough on my own. I'm a pretty good person on my own. I know I've done the research because I talk to people all the time. I talk to people all the time here where we live. When people find out I'm a pastor, the conversation just flows so naturally. We start talking about church. We start talking about religion and people. You know, it's so interesting how quickly people say, well, I'm just aspiring to be a good person. I just think the one thing we all have in common is I'm just trying to be a good person. And I often think to myself, well, that's a great place to start because it doesn't take too long to try to be a good person, to fall flat on your face and recognize you need a savior and recognize you need grace. If you're really putting in a good effort and trying to be a good person, that's a nice place to start, but that's not a, that's, that's, that's not a good place to, to end up because the reality is, why is this? It ends up becoming a barrier for us. For so many people, it's actually not their sins that are keeping them from a relationship with God. Tragically, it's the belief that, that they're essentially a good person. And, and why is that? Because it becomes a barrier to receiving the grace of God. It becomes a mental blockage to where a person can't see their need for, for forgiveness. Now, I'm not trying to say that everybody is a low, down, dirty, terrible person. I'm not saying that, that even unchristians, that non-believers aren't capable of doing good things. We're made in God's image. God placed potential inside of us. There's something of him inside of us. But the reality is, according to the gospel, we've all fallen short. Every one of us has fallen short of the righteous standard of God. And we are in need of a savior. And that is the one thing we all have in common in this place today. That is the one thing, whether you walked in here for the first time today, or you've been here for years, we're all in need of a savior. And so I'd put it this way. Jesus's love for us isn't based on our performance for him. His love for us isn't based on our performance 
for him. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He ate at the sinner's table. He went to people who recognized they had nothing in their moral bank account. They came empty handed. And you know why he went to the sinner's table first? Because they were under no illusion that they had it all together. He knew they were the, the ones who were, who, were beginning, who were gonna be first in line to receive the good news of his message because they had always been ostracized by this table over here. And so he went to them and he triaged them first. <laughs> he recognized really that everybody's in the same category. Actually, everybody's spiritually sick. It's just that there's one group of people who are gonna be more open, who need care first because they've been ostracized and marginalized. And so it's not about our merit, it's about his mercy. In fact, we looked at this scripture on Good Friday, Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yet again, a reminder that we did nothing to earn, to merit, to deserve the grace of God. While we were still sinners, God made the first move toward us by sending his son, Jesus Christ. We didn't do anything. We didn't bring anything to the equation. Our moral bank account is empty. God made the first move. When we weren't thinking about him, he was thinking about us. When we didn't love him with all of our heart, he loved us. When we weren't willing to live for him, he was willing to lay down his life for us. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not about anything we've done. It's about his mercy, his, his grace. And so Jesus is a friend of sinners, which is good news for you and for me. Because you know what that means? That means Jesus is our friend. Come on, somebody. That means Jesus is, is our friend. And that truth leads us to both an invitation and a challenge. First, the invitation. Here's the invitation. Number one is you belong at Jesus's table. You belong at Jesus's table, not because of anything you've done or you haven't done, but because of his mercy, by his grace. There's nothing that you can do to make him love you any more. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you any less. He loves you as you are. Now he loves you too much to leave you where you are. That's why he invites you to follow him. And so our job is to simply respond and to say, yes, we've been given an invitation, the free gift of salvation to follow Jesus, to know him, to walk with him. But we do have to respond. We have to respond to the invitation. In fact, we're, the backdrop of our message today is an invitation story. Jesus invited Matthew. He invited Levi, come follow me. Leave your tax collector booth and come follow me. I'm going to give you a new life, a new path, new purpose. And Matthew had to say yes. He had to walk away from everything to follow Jesus. And it changed his life. Don't you love the fact that Jesus looked past all of Matthew's faults and flaws, didn't care that he was a tax collector, but he looked at Matthew and he saw something on the inside of him. He saw his full redemptive potential. And Matthew goes from being a scumbag tax collector to being an apostle, to writing a gospel that we read about today that impacts our lives. That's amazing, isn't it? Come on, I want to encourage you today. Some of you, you struggle to believe that today. For some of you, the good news is almost too good for you. You struggle to believe this truth that, that God accepts you, that he loves you despite what you've done. You'd say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I'm struggling with. You don't know my addictions. You don't know the temptations I've given into. You don't even know what kind of week I had this week. Here's what I will tell you. God knows. He sees everything and Jesus still invites you to sit at his table. He saved a seat for you at his table by his grace. And some of you came from a religious background or a church background where all you've ever felt was shunned or put down or like you could never be good enough. And I'm telling you, the good news of the gospel is Jesus loves you and he meets you as you are. Just like he called Matthew to follow him, he calls you to follow him. He saves a seat for you at 
His table by His grace. And we simply have to respond. Here's the second thing. That's the invitation. Number two is the challenge. And here's the challenge. Who do you need to welcome to your table? Who do you need to welcome to your table? See, maybe Jesus is calling you to reach across lines and to welcome somebody into your life, into your heart, to widen your perspective to people who look different than you, to people who come from a different walk of life than you, people who vote differently than you. Maybe he's calling you to have more grace for people who sin differently than you. Don't get too quiet on me because that's where we struggle with judgment. It's people who sin differently than us. Maybe it's, it's simply recognizing that we tend to hold others to a standard that we don't want to be held to. Don't we do that naturally? It's kind of part of the human experience. We tend to expect more from others than we want expected of us. We tend to hold others to a standard that we don't want to be held to for, for ourselves. And, and, and I think so many of us, we, we start off like Matthew. And as I think about stories in this church, as, as I've had a front row seat to see life change over the years in this church, people meeting Jesus, people coming back to church for the first time in a long time, people, people connecting for the first time ever to a Bible teaching church like this. And I, I think there's a sense for so many of you, think back when you first met, met Jesus, you were like Matthew, you were just so happy to be here. Like, Jesus, I'm so, so thankful that you saved a seat for me at your table. You were so thankful that Jesus looked past your, your faults and your sins and your hangups and the things you had done and that he extended grace to you, love and mercy. And so when you would sing the songs in church, it was so fresh for you. When you would hear the messages about the grace of God, the tears would begin to roll down your cheeks when there were opportunities to serve. You were the first one to sign up because it was so, it was so fresh for you what God had done for you. But you know what happens over time? We all have to resist this. What happens over time is we all can start to drift this way. You start to drift over this way after a few years walking with Jesus. You start getting a few Sundays under our belt. Start getting a little bit more familiar with the sermons. A little bit more familiar with the gospel story. I've heard this before. I've heard the cross before. <laughs> I've heard that God loves me no matter, no matter what before. I've been giving. I've been serving. I've put some money in the offering. And in our mind, we don't realize it, but we begin to think of those people over there as being everybody else. And we can start drifting toward this over here. And what happens is Jesus calls us back to his table. He calls us back to his table, to the place of grace, to the grace of mercy, to the place of where he just accepted us as we were in our sins, despite our failures, despite our flaws. He loved us where we were. He continues to call us back to this place. And he says, I want you to live here. I want you to abide here. I want you to abide in my presence. I want you to abide in my mercy. I want you to abide in my grace so that it defines you. It shapes you the way you see yourself. You, you, you know that by the grace of God, you're this over here. <laughs> by the grace of God, you're this over here. And, and you know that there's nothing that you did over here for, for God to, to, to accept you. You didn't bring, there's nothing in your moral bank account. There's nothing in your spiritual bank account. It's only by his grace that you live right here. And Jesus says, just sit with me here. Just sit with me here. Just fellowship with me here. Just live here. Just fellowship with me here. Just follow me. Let's do life together because I've saved a seat for you at my table. And I love what he says to the, to the Pharisees in verse 13. He quotes, he quotes from the Old Testament, from the book of Hosea. He says, but go and learn what this means. He's like, you Bible scholars, go look up this. Hosea chapter six, verse six. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous 
but, but sinners. What does he mean by that? Jesus, Jesus said, I'm quoting from, the, from this Old Testament scripture because here's what that, that scripture meant. God was saying to the people, it's about your heart. It's not about your religious rituals. It's not about all of the empty things that you do to try to impress me, jumping through all of the hoops to win my favor. No, no, it's always been about the heart. God the Father says, I've always been after your heart. I've always wanted the people who loved me with everything they had, who would represent me in this world. I've always wanted the people who understood that I made them my people. I called them. I took the first step. It's always been about the heart. If you go back and you read Jesus into the Old Testament, you'll recognize all along, that's that's what God was up to. He wanted the hearts of of his people. It's about a heart changed by grace. It's not about outward conformity. It's about inner transformation. See, religion says, I'm going to do all of these things and I'm going to feel good about myself. I'm going to do all of these things and these are the things that make me a good person. I'm telling you, we are swimming and breathing in a religiosity culture, a religious culture where people think they are essentially good people. In fact, there's even kind of a Christian version which says, you know, because I've asked God to forgive me because I've done the right thing, now I've done something to contribute to that and God will forgive me. But the gospel comes along, Jesus comes along, he flips that upside down. He, He made the first move towards you. He did for you what you could never do for yourself. Lived a sinless life on your behalf, went to the cross, took your place to, to, to offer his, his life as a sacrifice for your sins, was resurrected to give you new life. And when we see that kind of love, when we see a God who made the first move toward us, when we see a God who loves us by his grace, it's that truth that gets on the inside of you and changes your heart from the inside out. And so it's no longer about outward conformity. It's about inner transformation so that you have the ability to repent. You didn't, have the, you didn't even sincerely have the ability to repent on your own. But it's the grace of God that opened your eyes to see the need for a Savior. Amen? And so Jesus, he continually calls us back to his table. He looked at the sinners with compassion. And I think he looked at the Pharisees with a somewhat of a righteous frustration. But his, his compassion was guided by a deep understanding of the real needs of people. Let me tell you, Jesus gets us deep down. Jesus doesn't look at us and see Pharisees and, and, and tax collectors. He just sees human beings who are made in the image of God who are all equally broken in some way. Every one of us in need of a savior. Every one of us spiritually sick in some way, no matter whether you just started walking with Jesus or been walking with him for years, and he just wants to bring healing to our souls. He just wants to bring wholeness to us. He just wants to bring salvation and healing healing and freedom by his grace. And let me tell you, Jesus gets our desire to be included and to be welcomed and he saved a seat for you at his table. Because many of you, you've always longed for that. I know many of you in, in this room, you've always felt like you've never been good enough. Some of you, You've got religious baggage. You've got church hurt. You came up in churches that always made you feel less than, that always made you feel like you couldn't be good enough, that you can never be close enough to God. Like righteousness always felt elusive for you. But that was religion. That wasn't Jesus. Jesus said, no, I've saved a seat for you at my table by my grace and by my mercy. And so here's the big idea today. Jesus gets us because he's a friend of sinners. And that's good news for us. That's good news for us. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He, he loves you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. He calls you to follow him. And let me tell you, in following him, He'll give you the grace and the power to let go of whatever you have to let go of, whatever sins, whatever baggage, whatever hurts, whatever hangups are keeping you from following him. Just keep taking one step toward Jesus and he'll help you follow him. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to just invite you just to bow your head in prayer.
in this moment. Can we first just take a moment to thank God for his grace, to thank God for his goodness, to thank God for his love. Come on all over again for the gospel to hit us afresh today, to not take it for granted, but to, to meditate for a moment on the goodness of God. Father, we thank you today. God, we thank you today for your, for your precious one and only son. Jesus, we thank you that you saved a seat for us at your table by your grace, by your mercy, in your love. You received us right where you found us. Just like you called Matthew in the midst of his sinfulness and his brokenness, you called us to follow you. And we're so thankful today, God, that you look past our sin. We're so thankful there's nothing that we can do to make you love us anymore. There's nothing that we can do to make you love us any less, but you receive us as as we are and you call us to follow you so that you can transform us into who you've called us to be. Father, forgive us for the times when we've drifted toward thinking that there's something that we've done to deserve to be here. Lord, keep us at that place of just abiding with you, sitting at the table with you, living with you, eating with you as your followers, as your people. Thank you for saving a seat for us. And now as we're praying this morning, I'm gonna take a moment to pray for the person in this place who would say, Pastor Jeremy, man, I'd love to have a relationship with God in that way. (laughs) Even as you're describing that, it almost sounds too good to be true. I hear what you're saying, and the truth is, the thought of sitting at the table with Jesus, like God feels so far away from me, and, and I feel like I've done so much, and I've been so far away, and it's been so long, like I wouldn't even know where to start to take a step toward him today. And I would tell you today that that, that very tug that you're feeling in your heart today is the, is the Holy Spirit gently tugging on your heart and whispering the invitation of Jesus, the same invitation that he gave to Matthew, and he's saying to you, follow me, follow me. I'm not calling you to religiosity. I'm calling you to follow me. And it starts by responding with a yes to Jesus. Yes, I will follow you. Yes, I will follow you. Come on, if that's you today, can I just invite you to say yes to Jesus today? Just to pray this prayer with me right there where you're sitting. Jesus, I give you my yes today. I say yes to following you. Thank you for saving a seat for me at the table. Pray this with me. Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are, the Son of God, that you lived a perfect life on my behalf, that you went to the cross for my sins, and you were resurrected to give me new life. And I admit that I'm a sinner. I turn from my sins, and I place my faith in you. I follow you today. And I thank you for saving a seat at the table for me. Father, I thank you for every person who prayed that prayer today. Thank you that the scripture says that your spirit testifies to our spirit, that we're born again, sons and daughters, never the same. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.